are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Prey, which came out in 2022 and was directed by Dan Trechtenberg. It stars Amber Midthunder, Dakota Beavers, Dane DiLiegro, Stormy Kip, Michelle Thrush, Julian Black Antelope, Stephanie Mathias, and Nelson Lay. The genre would be action-adventure. There's something out there. I've never seen anything like it. I'm not frightened by a bear. It's not a bear. It knows how to hunt. I know how to survive. Watch the full trailer online now. Yep, folks, you've heard right. This is the thrilling and inventive Predator movie which we have been waiting for. And to be fair, I kind of enjoyed Predator 2 and Predators, but they just seemed too focused on showing deference to that original Predator movie from 1987, previous episode, that they both ended up feeling like diet Predator movies in the end. But not this one. Even though the basic overall story isn't particularly original, it's basically your standard hero's journey story, which honestly doesn't feel that far removed in structure from Star Wars or Top Gun. And I'm referring to those original movies, of course. And in this case, our Luke slash Maverick is Naru, played winningly by Amber Midthunder. Her character is a young female member of the Comanche tribe living in the Great Plains about 300 years ago. Like all women in her tribe, she has been tasked with being a gatherer, or sometimes a medicine man or healer as well. But she aspires more to be a hunter. You are good at so many other things. Why do you want to hunt? Because you all think that I can't. Which she is becoming increasingly skilled at, though not quite at the level of her brother, who was also played nicely by Dakota Beavers. I've been practicing. It's time. I'm ready for my katamir. You want to hunt something that's hunting you. The film doesn't really waste any time, as off the bat, they, among others, are out in the woods on the hunt for bears, lions, and deer. But one day, while on her own, Naru hears a loud crack in the sky, looks up, and sees something relatively transparent blasting through the air. And guess who comes knocking? Why, it's our old growling friend with the dreads and the mandibles and those creepy red tripod laser sights occasionally beaming out from his, its, mask slash helmet. <laughs> I'm not sure which. Director Dan Trachtenberg, who also gave us 10 Cloverfield Lane, really liked that movie too, along with screenwriter Patrick Eisen, just assume that you already have some idea of the threat which a predator presents. And even if you don't, this film does a nice job of showing you this in creepy increments, especially one scene early on involving a dog, which I have to say startled me a bit. Yes, this film does get increasingly violent and arguably as violent as the first movie even. Of course, the worlds of the Comanche and the Predator eventually collide, with a large swath of violent French fur trappers tossed in for good measure, and chaos ensues. 
It's beautifully shot chaos, though, thanks to director of photography Jeff Cutter. All of the action is crisply shot with a good sense of the geography among characters, even at night. It's a simple story which escalates in satisfying fashion towards a climax, which has some cool twists. Though, much of it hinges on a specific item used by Naru that I'm not sure I was completely sold on, even though by comparison, it doesn't really make any less sense than what Arnie used in the third act of the first Predator movie. Regardless, I found myself genuinely engrossed for most of its runtime, and the last 40 minutes or so rivals the best action filmmaking of any recent film short of Top Gun Maverick. You think that I'm not a hunter like you? And I'm not a threat. That is what makes me dangerous. You can't see. But I'm killing you. And now that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now, I've never been much of a gamer, though apparently if I had, I might have heard of Sarah Schnockner, who composed the score for Prey. Because over the past several years, she's been making quite a name for herself as one of the most exciting musical forces in the world of gaming, having composed memorable music for several Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed games. This is only the third score that she has done for a movie, and it's by far the biggest movie she has done one for. And her music is glorious. Mostly done through a combination of synthesizers and various string instruments, all played by Sarah herself, no doubt, her music is a critical aspect of what makes Prey such an exciting watch. It's often very guttural music punctuated with scraping cellos at key moments. But there are also some distinct melodies heard throughout, including a recurring theme for the main character herself, which we hear build up throughout the movie whenever she's alone on screen. Of course, it's called Nauru's Way. For a film with minimal dialogue, it falls upon the music to often do a lot of the talking, and that even carries over to the intense theme accompanying the introduction of the Predator itself, called Predator Instinct. Every great villain needs to have his own theme, right? And this one even rivals the music Alan Silvestri composed for the original Predator film in 1987. If nothing else, this sounds even more foreboding. Though for me, as usual, I'm all about the strong finish, and there's a theme which kicks in just as the opening credits start at the end. For me, this is the best music cue of the film. It's called The Hunter, and it's quite rousing. The next category is Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I'm going to go kind of broad here. The million-dollar question for Prey, the movie, remains, 
why was this not released into theaters? I mean, I get that the previous Predator film from a few years ago called The Predator, it had a weak reception, but even that film made almost $160 million worldwide on an $88 million budget. Now, that's not great, but that's not really a flop either. Before that, the movie Predators, which came out in 2010, made $127 million on a $40 million budget. Now, this movie also had a mixed reception, but that's still quite profitable. And this film's budget for Prey was estimated at between 10 and $15 million. So even if it literally grossed half of what either of the previous Predator films had made worldwide, it still would have been quite profitable. And right now, one thing preventing movie theaters overall from reaching their pre-pandemic levels of attendance is a lack of steady product being released. This film has been getting great buzz, and with its scenery and action, and it's coming from a relatively proven brand, so why has it only been released to streaming? Simply put, if that's even possible, it might be because of the revenue goals of the parent company, which now owns it. Prey first started production more than three years ago under the 20th Century Fox banner, which has since been acquired by the Walt Disney Company, and is now known as 20th Century Studios. And given how recently it has been made abundantly clear by the leadership at Disney how creating continued product for the streaming services owned by them, which are Disney Plus and Hulu, that is their top priority, one might assume that that would be the reasoning behind it being released only to streaming. This was also the case with some other bigger films carried over from Fox, including the recently Hulu-released erotic thriller Deep Water, starring Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas, which is a wacky film which I would be hard-pressed to say is good overall, though I think it would have been an absolute hoot to see it in theaters with an audience. I think they left money on the table with that one too, actually. And yet, as easy as it would be for me to pin the blame on Disney, which I have made clear I am not a fan of, Prey might have been put into production at Fox three years ago with the agreed-upon commitment up front that it would only be released via streaming. You see, nobody really knows nor is said as much publicly. For all we know, this obligation might have been set up before Disney even acquired Fox. So the simple answer is that there is no simple answer as to why we can't enjoy the intensity and majesty of this latest Predator film on the big screen. But the fact that we can't, that in itself is a waste of talent. And now the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. For a lot of folks, their favorite sequence occurs during the second half of the film as we watch our latest Earthbound Predator lay waste to several slimy, evil French fur trappers and hunters. And no doubt, that's a pretty intense, rousing set piece, with my favorite moment being when we see three fur trappers with muskets all have the drop on the Predator. But as they each unload their guns at him... He raises his round metal shield to stop the bullets. He then pauses for a few seconds, watching them each struggle to reload their firearms with gunpowder before going to town. It's a cool moment. However, for me personally, the true standout sequence is one that's early on involving a nasty brawl between the Predator and a giant bear. And the visual class between a furry animal and a generally translucent figure is done just so seamlessly 
and taking place in broad daylight, no less, you cannot help but marvel at just how effective it looks on such a limited budget. These are good effects, and it's a nice touch that the bear really holds his own with the predator. That brings me to my final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, Nauru is an easy protagonist to root for, and the predator, as designed, cuts a very intimidating figure. He admittedly has a more primitive look than the 1987 version, but that tracks very well within this setting. And both of these figures combine well into a very simple story expertly told by Trachtenberg, the director. This film is 90% visual storytelling. His goal was clearly to tell most of that story through action. And on that level, Trachtenberg just nails it. And considering that we now have had seven films featuring the Predator, that he was able to craft a fresh, exciting story involving this creature is all the more impressive. This director has taken the core of what makes the Predator so compelling and brought it back to basics. And even though I really do love that original Predator film, along with its impressive array of fun performances and quotable dialogue... You're hit! You're bleeding, man! I ain't got time to bleed. I consider Prey to be just as good for pulling off one of the best action films of recent years and for delivering what might actually be the best Predator film overall Dan Trachtenberg is your MVP. One of the things that I'm always looking to do with an IP or or in a franchise film is that, you know, have a movie that would be great on its own. And then when you add the IP, it makes it even better. My rating for Prey would be four and a half stars out of five. This film just works as a down-and-dirty adventure horror tale, and among so many films of the past several years which have been forced to straddle that line between streaming and theatrical, Prey is definitely one that was egregiously kept from theaters. Even after watching it at home, I would still gladly pay to see it again on the big screen. It's that good. And if you're looking to watch Prey, as I said earlier, it's currently streaming on Hulu. And that ends another predatory review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.